Well, welcome to this week's edition of Spooky South Coast. I'm Tim Weisberg, and before we get into the discussion about haunted jails, prisons, and institutions, first we want to uh, give you the opportunity to listen to a few announcements that we have to make. Now, uh, you'll hear us talking about, uh, in this week's episode of Spooky South Coast, uh, how Matt Costa and myself are going to be locked up to raise money for the Muscular Dystrophy Association uh, on Tuesday, March 13th. Please, please, I can't stress this enough, please send a donation, any amount. Go to SpookySouthCoast.com. There's a link right there. Any donation helps. A dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, everything helps. And uh, no matter what you give, it somehow impacts the life of somebody who is suffering from muscular dystrophy. And it also helps benefit research to make sure that uh, we can find a cure for this horrible disease uh, sometime in the future. But uh, we put out a message on MySpace saying anybody that wanted to advertise anything uh, for a donation of $20 or more uh, could do so. So we have a few announcements that we'd like to make in that regard from some people who generously donated uh, more than $20 and in some cases way more than $20. So I want to start by telling everybody about the Mill Pond Diner in Wareham, Massachusetts. The owner, William Goyette, and his wife Lorraine were very generous with their donations uh, the Mill Pond Diner is located at 2571 Cranberry Highway uh, in Wareham, Massachusetts. Their number is 508-295-9688. Uh, if you want to give them a call and have them fax over a menu, they'll do that for you. Uh, you can also uh, find out more about the diner by going to myspace.com slash diner. Uh, but it's really just its an original 50s diner. It's uh, pretty much everything inside is original from when it was built. It's from the Jerry O'Mahony Company in New Jersey, so it's one of those original clock diners that you might remember from your childhood. And, they, you know, they still have the same kind of diner food you'd expect to find, French meat pie, meatloaf, uh, all that stuff you can think of, American chop suey, and, of course, breakfast is served all day. They're open uh, every day from 5 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., except Sundays when they're open 5 a.m. to 1.30 p.m., uh, serving breakfast only. But you can stop in and get a nice home-cooked meal anytime and tell them Spooky South Coast sent you. They're also available, by the way, for any catering needs you might have. So just give uh, William Goyette a call, 508-295-9688, if you are somewhere in the Massachusetts area. He'll be happy to arrange something for you. Something else we want to tell you about, and this we can't oh, we can't thank enough our, our, our listener, Carl. Uh, he's so kind to create sscfan.com. It's a website uh, dedicated to Spooky South Coast for all fans to go to. Uh, and he wants everybody who listens to Spooky South Coast to go to the site, sign up for his email alerts, uh, and he sends out, you know, whenever we have news that we announce, Carl uh, sends it out in an email form to everybody. He's really good about it. He gets it out there really quick. Uh, so make sure that you sign up for his email list. But sscfan.com is the website, and it's really just outstanding the work that he's done uh we we supply him with some in, uh some pictures and some some stuff that you may not find uh on our site or on our myspace uh we give it to carl and he uses it in his site he's got some candid photos of us up there uh he's got some pictures of when we did a presentation in freetown uh, he also has the waverly hills ghost footage captured by matt moniz uh, and pretty much anytime there's anything related to spooky south coast that goes out there on the web carl is uh the central the person who puts it all centrally located on sscfan.com. And, of course, don't forget to check out the SSC Fan 
uh, MySpace as well. It's linked up right on the front of our MySpace, myspace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. You can find that SSC fan uh, MySpace as well, and you can also find links to Carl's band, Silence Your Cell Phones. Outstanding stuff. I mean, if you're into... Uh, if you're into the darker uh, electronica that's out there, you'll definitely like silence your cell phones. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Welcome to Spooky South Coast, another primetime edition. We get to go on the air during primetime because we got college basketball coming up at 8.45. But until then, you are here with us. Uh, we are here at the Spooky Studio to talk to you about all things paranormal. In case this is your first time hearing Spooky South Coast, we're usually on 10 to midnight Saturday nights here on WBSM. Uh, we talk about the strange and unusual, the paranormal, and some might even say supernatural. Uh, but we try to find some of the uh, explanations behind some of these things. We present different cases, different stories, different theories. Uh, we are always willing to take your calls uh, to talk to you about anything you might have experienced out of the ordinary, whether it be a haunting, an experience with a ghost. Uh, maybe you have some psychic abilities. You've had an encounter with a UFO. Uh, just about anything is on the table with us here, and we do not judge you. Uh, we we come at you from a point of view of we believe in this stuff. We know that it takes place, so we'll help you work through it. But, you know, if we think that there's a logical explanation for what's going on, we'll let you know that as well. Uh, it's myself, Tim Weisberg, and we have with us the silent assassin, Matt Costa. How are you tonight, Matt? I'm doing all right, Tim. All right. And we have science advisor, Matt Moniz. What's up, guys? And he is a research chemist with 20 years' experience investigating the paranormal. This guy actually knows his stuff, so me and the other Matt, we just... Uh, we're just talking out of our butts most of the time, but Matt Moniz knows what he's talking about, so feel free to give us a call. And joining us tonight, we have our special guest host, Christopher Balzano, a part of the Spooky Crew. Uh, he runs yep. the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website, so check that out at masscrossroads.com. How are you tonight, Chris? Doing very well. And you actually proposed this show to us because on Tuesday, Matt Costa and myself are going to be going to jail. Uh, don't get excited. We're going to be released sometime that day. You know, it's not like uh, we're not going to be hiring here at Spooky South Coast. But we, uh, we're going to be going to jail to raise money for muscular dystrophy. It's uh, part of the MDA lockup event. If you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, you can find a link there to donate. Uh, we need to come up with $1,200 for our bail. Uh, but you can also donate if you want us to keep us in jail, too. Either way, it works either way. But uh, we need to come up with $1,200 by Tuesday. So uh, if you can... How much to keep you in jail? Uh, $1,200. If anybody wants to keep us in there, that's what we need. Uh, But if if you want to go there and donate, that's much appreciated. We're going to be here at the Spooky Studio until about 9 o'clock tonight. So if you want to come down here and make a donation in person, just uh, come to the window here at WBSM, you know, wave in front of the glass, and we'll send somebody out to collect your donation. And, you know, we'll mention your name on the air if if you'd like that. Uh, So just come on down. Uh, You know where it is. And if you don't know where it is, go to WBSM.com. You can find that information out. And uh, But tonight we have an outstanding show planned because, as I said, Christopher Balzano came at us with this idea. He said, why don't you talk about haunted jails, haunted asylums, haunted institutions if you're going to be going to jail? Uh, 
No, we're kind of misrepresenting ourselves a bit here. We're not actually going to be locked up in jail, uh, Matt Costa, are we? Uh, not exactly, but... We're going to be actually you know, taken care of. We're going to be in a restaurant, fed lunch. Yeah, and... we're going to get lunch and uh, better than probably what a prisoner would get. But... Yeah, but the only catch is we do all have to take one big shower together. So that I, I didn't hear about that. You didn't hear about you didn't get that email. No, okay. I'm not sure if I'm game or not for taking a shower together. I don't know, holding hands maybe. But. <laughs> that could be the scariest thing you've ever said on the show. Uh, probably, probably. <laughs> if it was true, it would definitely be. It might be the only thing I've said on the show that isn't true too. So, which is scarier, him saying it or picturing it in your head? I still want to go there. <laughs> All right. So anyway, if you want to make a donation, go to SpookySouthCoast.com. There's a link there. You can also come by here uh, until 9 o'clock and hand us a donation in person. Uh, remember, we need to raise the money by Tuesday. All proceeds go to benefit muscular dystrophy research. Uh, and if you go to our website and go to the MDA link there, you can actually see they outline what the different money goes to. But So that kind of leads into what we're going to talk about tonight. But we already have a call on the line, so let's go right to the phones. And good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Tim? All right. How you doing, guys? This is Carl from California. Hey, Carl. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Great to finally but, uh, talk to you. Yeah, hey. It's nice to talk to you guys, too. We're, we're finally uh, on at a good time for you. I'm telling you, it's a nice sunny day out here, so it's kind of nice. Beautiful. <laughs> Anyways, I had a question. Um, I heard a study about some college uh, professors creating their own haunting, and I want to know how... If you wanted to see a haunting bad enough, could you physically manifest it? You're talking about the Philip experiment, aren't you? I believe that's what it's called, yes. Yes. Uh, now, there is some flaws with that, because who's to say that they really didn't summon up a spirit that took upon all of the aspects that they were trying to uh, generate? And now, yes, can, can a person create their own imaginary friends so to speak kids do it all the time now can we do it as adults i don't see why we can't now we each have an ability where we can add power to something that we create that's how delusions wind up taking over people's lives and people slip into madness now the the issue with the philip experiment is there was no way to tell that the spirit quote unquote that they theoretically created was truly their creation and not some sort of etherical spirit that was trying to just adapt to their creation that they made to try to fit the mold, as demons sometimes do in possession. Now, okay. uh, we, we had Paulino on uh, our very first show. Uh, we had author Paulino on, and he talked to us about it's actually a Buddhist uh, belief that you can create these spirits, and that's what it's kind of based on. I, I forget what it's called. Uh, I want to say it began with a T, a Tau. Tau. And what you do is by everybody focusing their energies, you can create this spirit. And that was a question that it's I had. called Taoism, yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, could it be just the uh, manifestation of everybody, you know, everybody's energy allows it to open a up the pathway? A collective conscious creating a, a cohesive Well, spirit. no, but I mean, I had the same question you did. Was it just opening the door right. and something's like, ooh, look at this, all this energy for me to feast on and, and, and react to? Oh, you want to call me Philip? Yeah, okay, I'll use that as my name. Exactly. Right. And it's the same kind of thing that people run into all the time with Ouija boards when they use them. Oddly enough, they always seem to get the spirit that they want to or someone who has had something horrific happen, that, which, is, which is their intention kind of going into it. So it's the same kind of is something, you know, are they doing it themselves or is some kind of, uh, you know, something latching onto it, something darker latching onto it and then looking for an entrance and finding it there. Yeah. Now, is that just like 
aligning your perspective to pay attention to that, or are you just allowing that to enter your your conscious then? Is that why it works? Um, I guess it's it's kind of like the uh the what is it called? The Volkswagen theory or the Volkswagen bug theory that if you if you you know, see a Volkswagen and you want to see a Volkswagen, you're gonna start seeing them all over the place. It's kind of that same theory mm-hmm. where you want something so bad, something might want it in, it becomes what you want it to, and then it allows its allows itself into your world that way. All right. Well, the reason why I was asking is because we just moved into a new house, and we're starting to have strange things happen. Things will turn up missing, and then you'll find them in a weird spot that the kids can't get to. Now, is that something I should look into and worry about, or do I just want to see a haunting so bad that, you know, I'm just making it happen? You may want to pay attention to that, Carl. Is this an okay. old house? Uh, no, it's an apartment building. Is it a new apartment building, or was it something before? Um, no, it, it's been an apartment building for as long as I can remember. Okay. And so. I, I think in that case where you actually have, unless your desire is really, really, really deep, something where you're going into a place, you think, oh, well, maybe it's haunted and, and things that are that physical are happening. I think there might have been something there before you got there. I would concur. So yeah, I mean, your intentions might be feeding it some kind of energy, but okay. there just seems as if there's definitely something something there that uh, – that you're already tapping into, not necessarily creating. I mean, I can okay. tell you, I, I've moved numerous times, and every time I move, that's that's what's on my mind when I first move into a new house, is that, is there something going on here? Is there a haunting here? Uh, even if there's no uh, no overt activity, I just, I worry about it, and it's something that's on my mind, so that maybe when something creaks or something moans, and I, I tend to think that it might be that. Uh, one See, thing I get that problem all the time, but it's just my neighbors. <laughs> Well, uh, one thing that I found that usually does work, and it's a bit of an old wives' tale, but it seems to be, it seems to be a tried and true method. Is a lot of people will hang a mirror on a south-facing wall, uh, with the theory that if you have a haunting, then a mirror on a south-facing wall won't be able to stay up. I don't know how it works, but a lot of people do tend to put. That's an old wives' tale. I've I've heard so many people though say that it, it's it's worked for them in in locations that they know are haunted. Well, that's just it. It's. Uh, more psychosemantic than anything else. It's something that helps ease it in their mind so they pay less attention to the things that happen. Now, I just moved into my own new house. I'm hearing creaks and groans and, you know, all new sounds, but this is a new house to me. Right. Whereas in my old house, I I, I would, you know, other people would be there and they'd hear this and that and it, I wouldn't pay it any attention because I know what it is. I've been there, you know. Do you find that the house moans every time you come home? <laughs> Uh, Carl, the other thing that that might be at work here is that you might have had a a ghost or something paranormal that's attached itself to you, and the new location uh, might be kind of giving an opening for a ghost that has kind of already been there and kind of looking for an opportunity to make contact with you as well. Okay, so I I, so I probably uh, should it would probably it wouldn't hurt to do my own investigation there. Yeah, I would definitely find out the history of the house, uh, the history of the apartment building. Oftentimes we think that they've been, I I know uh, a house uh, in Everett, which is um, a whole series of houses, kind of like an apartment complex, and the more research that they found out was it used to actually be an old vet hospital that was kind of redesigned. So, you know, what might be, what the building might have been before and then what the ground might have been before kind of might be able to give you some kind of clue of what's going on. I hope that's a a child and not a ghost. (laughs) Yeah, my daughter, we're... uh... Right at the park, and now it's time to go home, and she's not very happy. So now, I'm going to let you guys go. But Okay. Well, I don't know what faith you are, but it wouldn't hurt to, to maybe get some sort of blessing on on the place as well. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thank, thank you, you very much, Carl. Thanks for checking in. All 
Right, bye. Bye bye. And we already have a, another call on the line, so let's take that call. Good evening, around Spooky South Coast. Hi, Bree. How are you? Oh, hi, Re. How you doing? Not too bad. I'm calling kind of early. I'm, I'm the beginning stage of an investigation tonight, so I just I knew you guys were doing a show about prisons, and I had the uh, the pleasure to investigate with Matt Moniz at Eastern State. So hi, Re. Hi. How are you? All right, sweets. So why don't you tell um, everybody about your experiences at Eastern State? Well, Friday night when I was actually with Matt, um, we got hissed at outside of cell block one uh, several times. Um, provoked a little bit, it hissed more. It was kind of like a uh, uh, wind through leaves in a tree kind of sound, but there's no trees and no leaves. And it would kind of start behind your ear and then just take up the whole area. Uh, shortly thereafter, when we came back inside, uh, one of the girls from Batty About Ghost that was with us sensed that there was something getting ready to kind of run down the cell block. Um, and Matt challenged it, and we caught a, uh, an EVP of it screeching its name. Uh, a couple other things there. I tend to get headaches when there's something close by and got several headaches, got touched a few times. Saturday night was really kind of interesting. Uh, I wasn't with Matt at that point. Uh, but there, God, I think there was like 99 people on that investigation, and um, Rusty from Batty About Ghost and myself took a group by ourselves, and we were in cell block seven, and we split up a little bit. And when you go into seven, the the top tier is blocked off a little bit, so it's almost like a balcony. And I stood up there and provoked a little bit, and uh, in provoking, I was saying some not very nice things, challenging the sexuality and the manhood of whoever might be there, and. Um, was touched in a rather intimate place, um, and at that point, Rusty had the EVP, and when he stuck it near my legs, it kind of shot up through the roof. Uh, so I can say I was molested by something there. Uh, so it was, you know, it was neat. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait to go back. Uh, my own group, Eastern Paranormal Research, is planning to go back in about June uh, to see what else we we can find. Uh, I mean, you could walk by cell blocks and just hear things like, "Hey, you or come here," and my recorder would pick it up. Uh, so not only could you hear it, but, you know, it was actually being picked up and, and had proof that you weren't crazy, that you were actually hearing it. I had fun with the night vision that I brought with me, seeing shadows going in and out of the cell blocks. Yeah, that's right, because uh, you had seen, uh, was it the end of cell block one, the, the light? Right, and what yeah. was interesting is uh, I thought it was a couple that I had left in one of the cells. They were doing EVP work. I said, oh, that's because I saw the shadow coming in and out of the cell, and um, I believe it was Shelly from... Yeah. Um, from Batty? Yeah, from Batty. Yeah, yeah. She, was, she was the one looking at it through the night vision saying, is there somebody down there? I was like, well, let me see the night vision. I looked. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the couple I left down there doing EVP work, and they happened to be standing right next to me. I was like, no, we're right here. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, now, we, we had a lot happen there. Now, do you, do you think that because of the nature of what the building was, that is what lends to so many spirits staying around? Do, they, do you think they still feel imprisoned even in death? Oh, definitely, definitely. And, I mean, you figure you're dealing with, with the worst of the worst. I mean, you have murderers in there. And, I mean, if you if you were that mean and evil alive, I don't think much would change if, when you're dead. Um, and maybe because of that, you know, they're afraid to move on. You know, they're afraid they're going to end up in hell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I tend to be brave and will provoke in places like that. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to be a little nasty with them to, you know, uh, try like you're intimidating them because we're not men that you know we're easily intimidated for the most part. Well, uh, what's what's tonight's investigation? 
I am at Point Lookout Lighthouse, which is, if you look at the map of the state of Maryland on the western shore, it's the very southernmost tip. It's where the Potomac River meets the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, the founder of our group is actually the director of paranormal research here. And uh, we come out a couple times a year and do investigations. And then we have, we host uh, what we call paranormal nights. And we do 80 a year where other groups can come in, make a donation to the Preservation Society, and then can investigate it until 1 or 2 in the morning. Uh, we've got here, I guess since about 6 o'clock, we've already caught some things up in uh, one of the bedrooms. I mean, I've never been here when there hasn't been something going on as soon as you walk in. It's, it's actually pretty pretty active. And the park that it sits on had actually been a um, POW camp during the Civil War. So not only is the lighthouse haunted, but there's been many reports of people driving down the road, and they'll see what looks like a uh, Confederate soldier run out wow. in front of their car. All right, well, we'll let you get back to that invest- investigation. But before we do, we want to mention that Re is a member on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com, and she has uh, submitted some evidence from some of her investigations, including Eastern State Penitentiary, on the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. So we thank you for that. Uh, there's also a site that they can go to to see other uh, things that people have captured besides myself. Okay. Um, it's it's pointlookoutlighthouse.com, but don't spell out the word point. It's abbreviated as PT, okay. lookoutlighthouse.com, and there's tons of, of stories and pictures that go back 20, 30 years of stuff that's been caught in this, this place. Excellent. All right, well, we thank you for checking in. Uh, good luck investigating tonight. Stay safe. Thank you, and I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, take care. All righty, right. bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, and if you would like to join in tonight's discussion about haunted jails, asylums, and hospitals, uh, we're going to focus on a number of them here in Massachusetts alone. So if you want to join in the discussion, you can call in 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, of course, uh, we have Christopher Balzano in the studio with us, and we'll be right back after a quick break with our other guest for tonight, uh, Michael Ramser. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Beautiful. The story of Caitlin Bain, a young girl of 24 who went out one night after dark six years ago and never came home. Her life, her death, and what came after. Everyone presumed her dead, and she was, for a while, but not anymore. Be careful while you drive late at night, on what lonely stretches of road your travels take you. She's out there somewhere, dressed all in white, waiting for you to offer her a fatal ride. If you're not careful, maybe you'll find her stranded on a quiet roadside, or maybe she'll find you first. Close your eyes. She wants to show you someplace beautiful. Rookie investigative reporter Caleb McGee stumbles onto the story of a lifetime, the murder of a young woman named Caitlin Bain. His curiosity slowly turns to numbing obsession as he begins to unravel the tragic mystery of her life, her untimely death, and the horrors that came after. Beautiful, the movie. Written and directed by Robert Jason Clark. Produced by Dana Rose DeFrancesco. Music score by Glenn Ritchie. Starring Youngblood Roach as Caleb McGee. Cotton Wright as Caitlin Bain, Alex C. Farrell as Carl Anderson, and Fiona Horrigan as Officer Stevie Wayne. Beautiful, the movie. Coming spring 2007 from Ought to Be Committed Productions. Find out more at myspace.com slash beautifulthemovie or ought2becommitted.com. That's ought, the number two, the letter B, committed.com.
Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And Christopher Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads is with us as well. And uh, we are going to talk tonight about haunted prisons, asylums, and institutions because we are going to be going to jail on Tuesday to raise money for muscular dystrophy. Uh, check out SpookySouthCoast.com for more information on that. And also on SpookySouthCoast.com, if you go to the blog there, we have uh, links to a lot of the different uh, institutions that we'll be talking about tonight. And we also have a link to the webpage for our guest that's joining us on the phone right now, Michael Ramser, who is an author and an artist who has created a, a number of works uh, based around Danvers State. State What's the official title, Chris Balzano? Uh, Danvers State uh, Hospital is what is I've that what it's kind of, known yeah. now in the modern times because it started off as State Lunatic right, Hospital. Right, right, right. So a lot of these have kind of changed over the years. And so. if if you've had any experience uh, in any of these buildings, uh, if you've heard stories, uh, again, we must say here at the top top of this discussion, we do not condone anybody sneaking into these buildings. They're private property. Uh, most of them, hopefully, have have already been destroyed and, and moved on to new uh, new uses for the land. But if they are still standing, we ask that you please do not break into them, sneak into them, try to investigate on your own, go through proper channels, you'll be surprised. You might find that if you if you do things the right way and you get in touch with the right people, you may be allowed to go in and investigate. And if you do, make sure you share anything you find with us. So uh, let's let's go to Mike. Hello, Mike. Hi, How are you Tim? doing? How are and you tonight? Very good. Thanks and for being here. Hi, Chris. How are you doing, Mike? Very good. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. No problem. Mike and I have known each other. I think he's probably one of the first links I ever had on my site. We've known each other for about five <laughs> years. This is the first time we've heard each other's voice. Really? That yeah. Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> well, uh, now you've you've written and 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 uh, uh, have you? What do you call yourself? A, a, a writer? Artist, and? Uh, how about artist Arthur? Let's get by. We'll go by that term. That works very well because uh, I saw some of your work uh, through your site and through Chris's site. It's just it's unbelievable how you can convey the emotion that is felt when you stare at one of these buildings, uh, one of these dilapidated structures, and the way that yeah. it's come through in your work is, is outstanding. Well, you know, given the subject of uh, your show, uh, Danvers State certainly has a lot of spirits, um, you know, imbued in the whole project. And uh, places like it um, are kind of set apart from, you know, the daily world, and they speak uh, from the past and uh, with a lot of populations of people who had, uh, you know, major issues going on in their life. And somehow the building has remembered it, so to speak, and conveys it. And, and this is a building that was erected originally in 1878 yeah. as the State Lunatic Hospital. Now, when they built these buildings and they, and they brought these people there, uh, doesn't it kind of just lend to immediately from the day that it opens its doors, you have that oppressive kind of feeling about it? Um, well, actually, in the case of Danvers, when it opened, there was it did open a controversy because of all the money that went into it. I don't know if you're familiar with the building, but it was just a, a grand building and uh, extremely elaborate uh, domestic Gothic architecture. Uh, but there was a certain degree of optimism that uh, at that point, you know, probably lasted five or ten years, that it started in the mid-19th century, a very uh, kind of humanitarian outlook in 
terms of treating people with mental illness. The person who instituted that believed there was an 80% cure rate. Um, but pretty soon thereafter, it did become oppressive. And, of course, by the mid-20th um, century, um, turned into a snake pit, just like all the other uh, state hospitals. Well, now, th- this building, uh, and along with a lot of other institutions that we'll talk about tonight, was designed by Dr. Thomas Story Kirkbride, who created this plan for, for treating the mentally ill and, and using the building structure as a way to do that. Yeah. What was the reason for creating such gothic structures? Um, well, what Kirkbride did was he had kind of an uh, asylum uh, template, and then individual uh, and usually renowned architects in the area then um, – designed the building. In Danvers' case, it was Nathaniel Bradley, who was a noted uh, Boston architect, and he had a top-notch draftsman by the name of James Ellis, who drew Danvers. And, um, uh, you know, if if you're asking how does the Gothic part fit in Mm -hmm. um, to the whole idea of a kind of a a cheery (laughs) presentation, you know, given what how we've all seen Danvers, it, that's really hard to piece together. But um, you know, back at the turn of the century, in 1878, when the doors actually opened, uh, there were extremely elaborate gardens outside. The um, brick was all uh, pretty much made in Danvers, cherry red brick. The inside was clean plaster walls. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that. Um, that mammoth place is 700,000 square foot uh, facility um, was designed for 450 patients. And if you fill the attics, then 600. So that's far, you know, th- that's a big distance from the uh, 2,400 or more that ended up being stuffed into the building, you know, when it turned into a snake pit. And, Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> excuse me about this, but I believe. Uh, his theory on uh, how to cure mental illness or how to handle uh, these types of people and, and the facility to create was to have a main administrative building which acted almost as like the heart of it. And then people were kind of, depending on their mental state, were on different levels kind of stretching out like a, like a, like wings or, or, um, or like a spider, like spider legs. And yeah, then, or like the bat in uh, session nine. Is excellent. Right, right. Um, and so the main administrative building was meant to be large and massive and intimidating. And yeah, it was, you're absolutely right, Chris. It was supposed to denote the uh, authority and power of psychiatry. And um, if for those who haven't seen Danvers, there were three, or there were six wings radi- radiating out from the side. So three on each side, and then you have the back wards way, um, you know, literally in the back of the institution. And uh, Kirkbride believed in having the, quote-unquote, better class of patients up near the administration building, the um, elderly and infirm on the first floors, and then the, uh, quote-unquote, most excited, meaning sickest, people in those back wings, A and J. And now this this hospital was uh, decommissioned in 1992, Correct. Uh, due to due to, I guess budget cuts in the the state mental health care uh, framework. Well, just as a technicality, the the building we're talking about, the Kirkbride building, was uh, basically decommissioned in '82 uh, because of structural damage uh, due to bad weather, winter, frozen water, all of that. And what they did was um, at that point, 
uh, it was during the period of deinstitutionalization. So uh, a lot of people got sent out to the families, into the communities. They got uh, put in nursing homes, and the sickest were put in the medical building. It was called a Bonner Medical Building that was built in 1955. And then that that building was the one that was closed in June of '92. So now, when you have an abandoned, you know, former mental institution, naturally stories are going to spring up about it because they are these uh, dark, ominous, abandoned buildings, and people yeah. will tell stories about what went on there, whether it's true or not. I mean, you, you'll well, they, they could never have an electroshock machine in the building, but the forever legend will be that they used to shock patients, and you know, it's just the way that. It, Things happen with these myths and legends that spring up around them. Well, yeah. How, how I mean, much? Part, cre- of, part of. Go ahead. I was going to say, how much credence can we put into the stories that we've heard that come out of Danvers? Uh, I'm sorry, Tim. How much what? Credence. Credence. Yeah. Um, I, I think the hidden part is the good things that happen there. That's definitely the hidden part. The bad things are true. And uh, for instance, in Danvers, off uh, of A Wing on the eastern side was a uh, hip roof uh, annex connected by a corridor. And to go inside that building was just, that, that was just very, very frightening. That's where they did lobotomies. And you, you kind of went down this ramp and descended into the earth. The building uh, is kind of weird, looked much bigger on the inside than it did the outside. And you descended into this, you know, basically, um, you know, like hole in the ground and walked into this uh, pretty uh, modern kind of operating room with this mammoth um, light um, hanging. It's just totally ominous. And, you know, with the uh, operating table there. And uh, I know when I visited it uh, with Jeremy Barnard and Andy Chulik right after uh, the Session 9 film crew had left and we were being interviewed up there, I was told that there was a psychic who had um, come the day before or something when the uh, film crew was packing up and had walked um, outside the entrance, you know, had been led to the um, lobotomy room and basically went into a fit, you know, never made it there. It was just overwhelming to her. Just the all, all the feelings that were pent up in the building just uh, annihilated her as she was trying to get closer. You bet. Now, Chris. You bet. Uh, now, the Shadowlands.net is this website that a lot of people use to report hauntings, and mm-hmm. we've talked in the past about the good and the bad with the way that things are reported right. there, because basically anybody can post anything and it's unverified. Right. Uh, but the hauntings that were listed for Danvers are now taken down mm-hmm. uh, because the owners of the property did not want ghost hunters going there and breaking right. in and. And trying to follow these up. So, what have you heard coming out of this from a from a paranormal angle? From a paranormal angle, um, I've heard a little uh, touch of everything. I've seen uh, people have seen a lot of shadows when they've gone in there. Um, there is an underground tunnel which uh, people are people after it was closed and, and it was kind of became a, a spot where a lot of paranormal investigators would go into, um, and the cops kind of caught on to that and would patrol more. Um, we're being led through by former employees and, and people like that into this building, oftentimes for money. Um, and in those kind of tunnels, the, people would often see lights uh, where they weren't uh, even – well, there's there's light bulbs like every uh, – little light post every kind of few yards or whatever. And people would see those lights just go on and off. Uh, they would see orbs. 
Um, a security guard I talked to say he would often see a light on certain rooms, and he would go up to investigate, and there wouldn't even be a light bulb in the light, uh, in the light socket. And so people are kind of seeing a lot of things having to do with uh, electricity and a lot of kind of things having to do with um, uh, random, <laughs> random little flashes, orbs, things like that. But then there's also these dark uh, people that seem to be walking there. Um, people have often heard moaning, crying, uh, things like that, uh, oral thing, uh, oral, auditory things. Um, no one's actually ever actually seen a traditional ghost, um, kind of a full-bodied apparition in there that wasn't um, more of kind of like a shadow person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems to be, you know, every time someone goes there, they are catching something either on camera or, or some kind of EVP. So it is a constant kind of uh, stream of evidence that's coming, and then. The other part of that is that people are uh, experiencing things on the ground as well, and they do that same kind of thing. They see lights kind of floating in and out of the doors. And, right. you know, what, what needs to kind of be remembered is that uh, with with the, the the strategy that was going on with the how to handle mental health at that time, um, they were often given occupational therapy outside. And so a lot of these patients, to what you were asking before, experienced some of the best days of their lives and the most clear days of their lives there. And that kind of energy can be trapped, too. So I have heard people um, get good feelings there as well. Now, Michael, you're uh, very intricately uh, associated with the architecture and you know, just the way the building is to, to be able to have recreated it uh, visually as you have. It, what, what kind of experiences have you had in the time that you've spent there you know, learning more about it? Have you had any of these things that people are talking about? Well, I, I, you know, my experience is pretty much consistent with what, Chris was saying, I've never seen a ghost, and I have to say I've looked for one, uh, but I've never seen a ghost. Uh, my Mine is more, uh, I guess, along the lines of being in touch with spirit. I, there's some there's some author uh, who wrote a book on morphic resonance. Are you guys familiar with that? Uh, I'm sure Matt Moniz is. Yes. <laughs> the, you know, the idea that buildings and pr- certain buildings and properties um, – capture they retain the, the energy from a certain time frame and they keep it oh, so sure. when you go into a place like danvers and just for the record you know danvers is is now avalon bay danvers you know that right, right. yes you know it's like a shell of its former self and it's um you know uh, a massive uh condominium and apartment complex that's uh, you know taken its place but uh I've I've always felt uh, a lot of spirit there, and in, in a personal way, that manifested that um, I've done many many drawings of Danvers, uh, kind of a you know not just kind of it was an obsession and remains so still. Uh, but at one point in the 90s, I was signing a name to my drawings, and the name was Antoinette Levesque. Now I'm writing a book on this fictional character. And so I'm I'm okay with the idea that through my travels with Danvers and I you know I never uh, had any family uh, that was in there. I'm from Connecticut. Uh, I worked in the field. I've worked with uh, as a social worker with many uh, ex Danvers people over the years. Um, but uh, you know I I do feel that someone. Uh, or, you know, a uh, spirit was leading me through the place because uh, just in terms of my background, I wasn't equipped uh, psychologically for such an intense 
subject, and a, and a very complicated subject, and I'm, I'm beholden uh, to Chris for bringing up the good parts about Danvers, because that, that tends to get lost. And uh, many people were uh, literally saved over the years at Danvers. I mean, Danvers treated over 50,000 patients and their families. Well, and that's, that's what comes through. I mean, if you, if you do a Google search online for, for Danvers State Hospital, nobody's blogging or, or writing about, you know, positive experiences. Everybody's writing about the negative and the dark and the sinister that happened there. And it's, it's, as you both said, you know, nobody reports that good stuff and all the good that was done. That also has to do with time because, you know, as, he, as Mike was saying, by the time the 1920s hit, it was overcrowded. Um, yeah. It had become the, the snake pit, as you describe it, and those people are all dead. Um, so the people that are alive and, the, and the, the family members that are kind of the sons and daughters or aunts and uncles of the people that were there um, know Danvers as a negative place. But, Mike, let me ask you. I know that you, uh, you've conducted dozens if not hundreds of interviews of people who have been there. Um, yeah. Have they ever mentioned anything paranormal? Because we get a lot from Danvers now, but not a yeah. lot from Danvers when it was open. Well, um, I can. There is. There were a number of reports of um, seeing lights in the attic. I've heard okay. that from staff people. Again, um, visually, if you look at it, the the state hospital that closed in '92 was in a different part of the campus than the big building that we're talking about. I think. So people who worked and in the Bonner building would look at night. Uh, let's say they, you know, I interviewed a guy from Centerpoint. That was at the top of uh, uh, the Bonner Building, and you know he he reported lights uh, in the uh, attic. Um, and and let's not forget this, guys. There's a graveyard there with over 700 unmarked graves mm-hmm. that um, that have now, through the uh, diligent work of the Denver State Hospital Memorial Committee, Pat Deegan and uh, just an incredible group of ex-patients. Uh, I can mention their names because they're public figures. They've been on Boston TV, Billy Capone, Judy Robbins, uh, Mark Giles. <clears throat> uh, 700, you know, over 700 uh, unmarked graves were found on the eastern part of Danvers. And through their work, they've uh, linked up most of those graves to uh, actual people that went through the institution, um, you know, had lost their families, you know, were disconnected. And then in OT, uh, you know, they would sometimes make uh, pine coffins and so forth, and they were uh, and basically uh, just put in this pauper graveyard. Now, with the uh, construction being done on the land and, and these apartments going up, are they going to have to move that? No, they can't move it. Uh, uh, that's Part of the deal with the state is uh, the, the graveyard uh, is commemorated and you know cannot be moved. Well, I know that there has been in the past where there's been uh, things worked out where they can be moved and shifted around. But I mean, as long as they're going to leave it there as a respectful reminder uh, to what happened there, I mean, it's that's that's the right way to do it. I mean, yes, we hear that's... all these stories too about developers moving things secretly and. You know, the, the old line from Poltergeist. You moved the headstones, yeah. but you left the bodies, didn't you? Poltergeist came to my mind, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so now, what do you think is going to happen to the residents uh, of those complexes? Do you think that as the buildings go, so do the ghosts, you know, per se? Or, or do you think well, that... Well, how about this? Do you want to get together and we'll do a good, uh, you know, movie script? <laughs> <laughs> With Absolutely. the prophets, because they're out there waiting. 
Yeah, I, I've kind of said that. I think that, especially here in Massachusetts, uh, with Avalon Bay and other companies coming in, it's going to be uh, the new uh, excuse. It's going to be the new um, you finally do the research and you discover that you know, not that your house is built on an ancient Indian burial ground, but there used to be an asylum here. There used to be a hospital here. I think it's going to create a lot of paranormal activity 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when people have mm-hmm. kind of forgotten what Danvers was um, because they can't get Mike's books. And, and you know, it's the, the memory of that's kind of all washed up, and it's just <laughs> these beautiful com- apartment complexes that are at the, you know, the, the kind of – the center of this beautiful, you know, area, and look, you can buy, and people are going to start experiencing things, and then you're going to find out more, whether it's Danvers or whether it's Met State or whether it's NoHo, you know, or, the, or some of the hospitals in Plymouth. You, all of these places are going to start having activity that they're eventually going to discover is maybe somehow linked to these asylums or hospitals and jails that were there. And it's it's not just uh, hospitals and asylums either. It's, uh, for example, locally here, uh, Lincoln Park, the amusement park that was here, has a long history of paranormal activity associated with it, and now they're tearing that down and building apartment complexes there. And right. it's in Rocky Point, Rhode Island, it's the same thing. There, where there have been these stories, and again, these could be stories that have sprung up because these places are abandoned and they look spooky right. and ominous, but if there is legitimate activity going on there, then, as you said, it's going to start affecting the residents that live there afterward. You know, in kind of an, in an I think, an esoteric way, um, I think about Danvers. Danvers was the quintessential public uh, institution. I mean, a public psychiatric hospital. You think about that. The, the people who go through the doors of that place uh, or such a place have their total identity stripped. They get, you know... All their possessions are taken away. You know, you can't have any He was worried about his cell phone uh, <clears throat> not making it through. So, But I agree with what he's saying. I mean, these people were um, stripped of their names, stripped of their identity. Um, oftentimes in these, <clears throat> excuse me, these hospitals we're talking, they were reduced to a number and their religion. And they are now a collective. They are not... They are not, you know, Joe Smith. They are the inmates of or the patients of Danvers State Hospital. And so, you know, they kind of have some right to the land. And I think to some degree now, I, now from what I heard, Avalon Bay is putting up some kind of memorial in these places. Uh, perhaps this one's going to be in the cemetery, uh, which has to stay there, that commemorates what once was there. And yet we still have to kind of remember the dead. And, and to a large degree, we're not, and and to and you know to an extent, we're kind of sweeping our mistakes with the mental health system underneath the rug, as opposed to kind of praising the good things that happen there, or at least you know acknowledging that we do make mistakes. But mental yeah. health, in and of itself, is an evolving field; it changes all the time. Absolutely. All right, Mike, you back with us? Yeah, I'm. Okay. I'm back with you now. Uh, it's, cool. It's some... hey, let me just finish a thought that sure. I think Chris was just talking about. So you have this building. And it was the essential, you know, public uh, building. Now, what's left of it is the essential private building. So if you look at it, you know, a, you know, a little bit of a fictional way, if you look at it from the building's perspective, it's going from, you know, the extreme of a public institution to, you know, one of, you know, privatization and high-end condos. And uh, there's a story in there somewhere, I think. And Mike's done interviews with people on family members of, of patients who, after it closed, went back. That was their home. They were kicked out, but they went oh, back. Yeah. So physically, people are coming back. Sure. The it, it's not that big of a leap to think that their spirits are also going to come back to the place, bad or good, exactly. that they knew as home. So aside from the psychic you know recording stuff. You know what you're saying, stuff, Chris, so. is consistent that on Christmas there's going to be a lot of 
if what you're saying is true, then on, around Christmas time there'll be a lot of psychic activity because Christmas time, uh, you know, there's a lot of recidivism. Patients were always coming back. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we have another call on the line here. Uh, let's go to the phone. Good evening around Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hi. How are um, you? I don't have anything to say about spirits or anything, but when I was in nursing school in the 70s, we had to do a psych orientation at Danvers. We had a Olympic. And I know we were, like, so frightened at the big castle that we went to. And I never saw any spirits or anything, but um, it was the type of place that our bedrooms had, like, mattresses with straw. We had a uncovered light bulb in the middle of our ceiling. And, the, like, we would go out to play uh, baseball after we were there two days. And when we thought all the, when they uh, put a noise out for people that were patients to go back, everybody that we thought were patients, with that, and the patients went back. They looked more normal than the gods. <laughs> it was this little place down the road that was like um, called the um, Brown Jug. You could go there and get a beer for a quarter. You could get um, fried clams and uh, French fries for two dollars. And this is at a time when you would pay ten dollars back in Everett. Mm-hmm. It was like this mystical place, but, you know, it was like, it was very strange. To kind, of, kind of like a place time for God, almost? Honest to God, it was like that. And, and I won't forget, like, there was one time I was with a patient, and the gods were there. They saw him doing it. He had this little piece of paper. He was turning, 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 and I didn't know what he was doing with this. And then he wanted to go to the canteen, and they're telling me, well, take him to the canteen. I'm this young woman in my 20s at that time. So I take him to the canteen. And he picked up the whole Coke machine and threw it against the wall. And the guy knew he was going to do this because he was making a key. And every time he made a key with a paper, he did stuff like that. And so they let you go intentionally yes. with him knowing it was going to happen? Yep. I mean, in your experience there, was that kind of like the attitude that the staff took at that time? Was it like a... At that time, yes. And this was in the 70s. And so yep. by that point, it was it was reaching the fever pitch of some of these negative stories that we've heard come out in recent years. And they weren't like, all of them were not like that, but there were a lot of people like that. And do you think and it's a, a case of one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch? Like, when stories happen about somebody like uh, that, it overshadows it? I think most of the dads were good. I know that I had a psych instructor that made me run back and forth behind this person who was clearly schizophrenic. Because her thing to me was I had to copy down everything they were saying to me. And I had to be um, um, willing to just agree with everything she was saying, which was totally against what we were taught in school. So I had to like, be like a crazy person myself, running back and forth, back and forth between this schizophrenic patient telling me all these weird things, writing them down in this journal, or I would have flunked the course. So at times they had you going against how you were trained? Oh, yes. Yes, how we were trained in my school, as opposed to when we had to be there, and we had to live there. We had to live there for three months. And in that time you were there, you said you didn't experience anything of a paranormal nature, but no, I did not. Can you kind of understand though why uh, there might be tortured souls that still remain there? Most certainly. I think one of the other aspects of of why Danvers has gained this reputation. Is and and Michael does an excellent job in his in his uh, in his paintings of this. Is uh, I think of uh, Salem's Lot in the Marston House and how 
you know, there's all that stuff about the way it's it's positioning to the town. It looks down on it and judges it. And the same way, you know, Danvers, the Haunted Palace, is this kind of, I think actually this might be one of your books, Castle on a Hill, Castle on the Hill, mm-hmm. and it does look down and kind of stain exactly. the, the... And it is like a castle. I'll tell you a funny story. One of my best friends, her boyfriend, who she's, you know, since married and everything, but at that point in time when we were very young, he was almost like, kind of like street person that, you know, I mean, no drugs, nothing like that, but I mean, just he was just like the biggest guy in the block. Mm-hmm. He used to take us in his um, um, Firebird. He used to drive us there when we came home from the weekend. He would get up to the door and say, get out, get out, get out. And we'd have to run out because he'd go down the hill because he was scared to drop us off. Well, I can I can understand <laughs> that. It was just, you know, that was the kind of place it was. Well, we thank you for calling in and sharing your experiences and giving us some firsthand insight into to what it was like. But I can believe me, I can really believe that they would be spirits there. Not that I ever saw them, but, you know, I, believe me, I was never out at night there either. <laughs> <laughs> I right. hold three months, but I never went out at night. All right, thank you very much for joining us. Right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now, Mike, is that consistent with a lot of the reports that you've heard from people that were there at the time, that there was some of that element there? Um, yeah, I, I think the general rule of thumb was if there was ever to be a place that was haunted, it would be Danvers. But I didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't hear stories about ghosts. Um, it was more just the feeling of, you know, the place had... Um, had experienced so many intense emotions and convoluted thought within its walls that it had to be, uh, you know, it had to be haunted. And plus, as you had pointed out, or Chris had pointed out, it was home for a lot of people. The question was, what kind of home? There were a lot of there were a lot of good caretakers up there, and there were some very bad caretakers. All right. Well, uh... so it's kind of a tragedy. It really is. It's a um, huge. In my opinion, tragedy. Well, uh, Mike, before we go to the, we're just about up against the news break. Why don't you throw out your website for everybody so they can check it out? All right. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Um, it's the Castle on the Hill website at http slash slash ramsersdanversstatehoff dot com slash. And there's a link right up on SpookySouthCoast.com. You'll see Mike Ramser's name. Just click on that, and it'll take you to his website, and all the information is there. All right, thank, thank, you, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you very much, and thank you, Chris. Oh, thank you, Mike. Right. It's good to finally meet you, uh, or at yeah. least meet your voice. <laughs> I look forward to meeting you in person. <laughs> Spooky too, South Coast, bringing okay, people together. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have thank a good you. And um, can I just say something before I go? Sure. Hi, Georgia. That's my daughter. <laughs> hi, Barry and Roxanne. Barry, happy birthday. And hi, Kathy. All right. hello, hello to all those people from Spooky South Coast. We are coming up against the news break. We'll be right back on the other side with more about haunted hospitals, institutions, and asylums. Stay tuned. Spooky South Coast, a phenomenon that holds the key. You are experiencing deja vu. Deja vu. Deja vu. I can smell your fears. I'm not afraid. You will be.
look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Back hour number two here at Spooky South Coast, a special primetime edition. We're here because college basketball is coming your way at 8.45, so we have about three-quarters of an hour left to spend with you tonight talking about haunted asylums, uh, institutions, jails, prisons, and that is because the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and myself, Tim Weisberg, will be going to jail on Tuesday to raise money for muscular dystrophy, uh, the MDA lockup. If you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, there's a link there for you to make a donation online. And uh, if you want to come down here to the studio, we'll be here till about 9 o'clock. Uh, we can take any uh, donations you want to give us that way. Just come and wave in front of the window, and we'll send uh, we'll send Chris Balzano out to pick up your... Yeah, I've got nothing better to do. So. <laughs> That's why we brought you down here, a two-hour drive, just to go out there and collect money for us. Anything I can do to help the team coach. There you go. <laughs> so if you'd like to get in touch... And now, Chris, you're actually doing a, uh, an MS walk coming up I as am. well. I am, yeah. Um, in... Uh, in late April, I don't know the exact date, I believe it's the 29th of, of April, I'm, I'm going to be walking for MS, uh, me and a lot of members of my family. My father was uh, recently diagnosed, although he's been suffering for it for decade, with it for decades, um, and this is kind of how we can help, is is to, to kind of hit the streets, and we're actually doing a, an MS walk, and, and people can go, go to my website to, if they want to make donations to that, but it's... You know, it's going to be a good thing because we're all going to kind of be walking as a family and some family friends are going to be joining us and uh, we're looking for donations. We need to collect a $1,000 ourselves and, you know, we're well on our way. But anything we get above and beyond that is going to be fantastic. And there's been a lot of people from the paranormal community who have kind of stepped up. You know, I've had a lot of former South, uh, Spooky South Coast guests who have already contributed money. So Yeah, well, we're waiting for them to contribute to ours. What's going on? Well, and that's masscrossroads.com is Mass your website. Masscrossroads.com, yep. And, uh, and as you get closer, make sure you keep checking in with us so that we can uh, – what we'll do is we'll have you calling in. We'll have you – because it's going to take you forever to walk, you know, however long Oh, it's six are. miles. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna... thinking it's going to take you about maybe a day and a half. Oh, uh, I probably won't make it there until like <laughs> mid-May. Yeah, it's pretty. May I'll be crossing the finish line. You know, my son probably, who's two, you know, not even two yet, will probably beat me to the to the finish line. So I actually got asked once to cover for the newspaper the New Bedford Half Marathon. I said, "Am I going to be in the back of a truck?" Or <laughs> like, "No, no, you're going to walk alongside." I was like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> a half marathon?" Uh, I'm going to start my training this week. You know, six miles. I'm going to you know just kind of walk around the street, walk in circles, walk around the block, and and see if I can get myself in good walking shape. Well, what you can do is you can put on your headphones and listen to some spooky cells. Coast podcast and the time will go right by. Exactly, downloaded, uh, downloaded into my iPod and into my heart. All right, you got to see, you got to keep the plugs going. You got to keep <laughs> flying fast and furious here because we're about to get back in the discussion about haunted jails, asylums, and institutions. And if you'd like to call in and check in, the numbers are five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. 508-291-0500. Now, we spent the first half of the show talking about Danvers State Hospital, and that's, you know, that's probably the face of Massachusetts. It is. It is. Uh, two, two things that people know about um, when they think about the paranormal in Massachusetts, they know about um, the Salem Witch Trials, and they know about Danvers. And uh, ironically, they're both from the same place because, you know, Salem technically happened in Danvers. So it's kind of, you know, the, the face and what people think of when they think of ghosts and, and haunted locations in Massachusetts. So it's it's appropriate to spend that much time because it is, you know, the mother of all places. And then, of course, the film that came out uh, in the last few years, Session 9, Session which was nine. filmed there right. uh, with David Caruso. David Caruso and the um, one of the uh, one of the soldiers from... Uh, from Braveheart, too. He's uh, the star of it. Yeah, David Caruso, that, that bastion of uh, Academy Award-winning acting. 
Yeah, it was, it was, it was a the, beautiful performance. Now, how does he how does he act in that film if he can't take sunglasses off and <laughs> stare at the camera like he does on CSI Miami? Um, well, they are uh, an asbestos crew who goes in to clean the place up, so he has plenty of uh, opportunities to take his goggles off to get okay. the same effect. <laughs> there you go. So check out that film if, uh, if you'd like. And, and you said you know somebody that's actually working on, on a film uh, regarding some of these institutions? Um, yeah, his name is Steve Davis, um, and they are working on – they originally approached me to talk about Danvers, and I give them Mike's name, and – and they worked with him, and um, it kind of expanded from that. I think it was supposed to be a very short um, kind of college film, and they just had so much material, and we're getting so many other reports from other asylums that they've opened it up to other things, and so they've kind of had to put it on the back burner to finish up their um, their kind of thesis, thesis um, and, uh, but they're going to go back to it. So he asked me to, to kind of um, put in a plug for that. So anyone who's tr- looking to get in touch with him because they've had a story from an asylum or, or they've had some experience can contact me through my website, and I'll kind of hook you up with him. Okay, so that's masscrossroads.com, and you can always email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, and we'll make sure Chris gets it as well. Now, we've talked about Danvers, mm-hmm. and one of the other big ones, uh, you gave us kind of a big three right. in terms of uh, the stories and reports that have come out of them, and that is uh, Metropolitan State Hospital. Why don't you give people yep. a little bit of a background about Met State? Sure. Um, Met State is uh, kind of at the intersection of uh, Lexington, Waltham, and Belmont. Um, closed now, um, but it was one of, it was kind of like uh, baby Danvers. It was based on kind of the original design that Danvers was, although it, it was designed by someone else who kind of stole the idea. Um, and it has experienced over the years the same kind of paranormal activity. Now, what's different about Med State is that it's basically part, you know, it's in the middle of this um, almost like a nature reserve or, or at least, you know, a place that in different parts of the three towns is a park where people can go all the time. So people have reported not only things in the building, but there's a lot of activity and a lot of kind of oppressive feelings um, on the, the location, on the land that it's on and the land that it touches. And so people... Um, are walking their dogs, their dogs flip out and run the other way, or people all of a sudden just get this really heavy uh, emotional burden on their shoulders, and they or they start crying for no reason. They can't explain why, and they leave. And it's actually, you know, one of the places that, um, in the same way, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful grounds, and this and, and kind of dropped in the middle of this uh, paradise and this very serene place is this uh, building that was the source of, of tension and, and sadness for so many people. Now, of course, they were off to a roaring start uh, when it comes to a paranormal history because they opened two days before Halloween in 1930. <laughs> right. And uh, it also has, uh, from the story that I read here uh, on a website, which are all linked up to SpookySouthCoast.com, if you just click on the blog there, you can find all, all the sites for these institutions. Uh, and they talked about how there were children found in Metro State uh, during some inspection, and that led to the creation of a separate children's building. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the terms of the paranormal reports that you've heard, uh, how much of it comes out of that children's building? Um, I think that I've, I've heard reports of uh, ghost children, but not necessarily located around any building. Okay. Um, the ghost children have all been uh, around what is the cemetery area. And, and so in terms of uh, the paranormal activity at Met State, is mm-hmm. it on par with Danvers? Is it? Yes, 100%. It is on par with Danvers. Um, that same kind of thing. There are um, just hundreds of people who are buried there uh, without identity in pauper's graves. They were given a number and a C if they were Catholic and a P if they were Protestant and a J if they were Jewish, and that's it. And there hasn't been until recently the kind of attention paid to those graves and moving those graves and finding. And a lot of those haven't been matched up. So that's kind of one place where it separates itself from Danvers. Um, one thing that Met State has that Danvers doesn't have is, like I said, the, a lot of a lot of activity on the, the grounds. 
um, and a lot of oppressive feelings from people who, when you go to Danvers, you know you're going to be scared. You mm-hmm. can't get on the, the property anymore. Um, but when people could, the setting was perfect. Met State was one of those places where the ghosts sometimes just kind of, or the, the, the emotions uh, of those spirits just kind of hit upon you. In terms of physical things, it's the same kind of stuff. People walking the halls, um, the lights going on and off. Um, I believe there's also a tunnel there as well that people have seen a lot of things. So it's, when people tell me reports and then I report them back um, to, to, to the world, I often get confused over which stories come from where exactly. because they are the same exact. I think the level of, of oppression was not the same as in Danvers, um, but I think that the, the, the activity there is on a par with it. Well, it's the same thing, too. Uh, in 1992, as part of this privatization of mental health care and uh, the decommissioning of these state hospitals, it's been sitting around empty in that amount of right. time. And that's given, you know, it's maybe the last three or four years that people have really cracked down on people breaking into these places and, and investigating. So you had about a decade where people could get into these facilities, you know, with relative ease and could, could conduct investigations and have right. experiences. Uh and again, this is another place where the land is being turned over and used mm-hmm. for other facilities. They're actually renovating some of the actual Met State buildings and using that as housing. Right. So that's only going to help right. increase so some of the reports. Because it, it, is, it, is, it is less known than Danvers, uh, much less known, even though it, in the paranormal world it's kind of you know, somewhat on an equal uh, ground with it. In terms of its, its, uh, its face value, it's uh, not even close. I mean, people know much less about it than they do about Danvers. Well, when you gave me the email, uh, when you shot me the email with the different places we could talk about, I'm like, that's data. I have to look that right. up. You know, some of these different places I hadn't heard of. And it's it's kind of amazing how there's so many mental health facilities that were in the it state. It is. It's, it's just, I mean, and, you know, one of the things that is, is probably not unique to Massachusetts, but we just have so much of it, are these places being recycled and these places becoming, you know, what was once was a tuberculosis hospital, becoming a jail, becoming a youth, youth detention facility, and then becoming apartments. So you have... You know, these repeated uh, tragedy upon tragedy and sadness upon sadness, which then, um, you know, your nice family moves into. Well, we've talked in the past uh, with you about how you feel that this negative energy that's built up from these places, that there seems to be some sort of uh, pervading negative feeling Mm -hmm. around, you know, our geographic location. And so is it kind of like as they as these hauntings take place in these buildings, they are trapped in that cycle, and so therefore they're just going to keep repeating over and over again no matter what the facility is? Not only are they going to repeat, but they're going to draw that same kind of sadness and draw that same kind of negative energy to it. And so you're going to have people that, um, that go there or that are attracted by it that have something, um, some kind of, of level of negativity to them, which is why, you, which is why they... they, they Re- recycle these places as well, which is why they go back in because, you know, it's it's, I don't know, I, I, you know in some ways it's, it's it feels almost as if it's some kind of secret plot to keep these places filled yeah. with sadness. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and another uh, another state hospital too that goes very far back uh, uh, to, uh, I want to say I'm looking at this here, 1856. Uh, 18, well, actually, 1858 was the official opening of the Northampton Lunatic Asylum. You know, now known as Northampton State Hospital or or NoHo for short, mm-hmm. and and that's another one of these Kirkbride style, uh, you know, the same type of spider legs mentality. Right. And I believe that one it. was actually designed by him. And and what are some of the reports that come out now? Where where is it exactly? Oh, <laughs> you catching? Um, I believe it is in Northampton. Although I could be wrong about that. Because I remember one. Yeah, because it's the Northampton Hospital. But one so. of these it said it was like on the meeting point of like four. It might have been. Uh, 
it might have been Met State. They said that it was on like the meeting point that's, of four yeah, different towns. Yeah, that's Met State. Okay, that's Met State. That has it's kind of the intersection of of these three towns, but. So Northampton now, is in Northampton. And now in Northampton, what kind of uh, reports have come out of there? Because, again, it's the same type of thing, you know, used for a constant different uh, mental health uses uh, during the course of its existence. And then you hear these negative stories that came out in the later years. Uh, one of the very weird things about that is people that have – and that, that is kind of the, the one that's least on the radar of, of uh, police authority, it seems, although that's, that's changed, I guess, in recent months. It's the one that um, everyone in, in western Massachusetts seems to go to. You know, Western Mass being the forgotten part of the state. Um, so I get so many emails from people who have been through there, and they cannot take a a picture without getting some kind of uh, ghostly figure in it. And, and what you get there, what I've seen there, are more um, uh, not shadow figures, which is what you see in a lot of places, but instead you see some kind of weird uh, bright aura there. Um, and people have reported uh, seeing the, that type of figure walk uh kind of out of their their line of sight. So it's not a shadow, but it's actually a light. Um, and one of the places, and I've gotten this from more than one person, one of the most peaceful places in there is the morgue. Now, why that is, if, if death was the final piece for these people and that was a quiet place, or whether you just don't want to go down to the to the site where, you know, you actually had your demise, I don't know. But more than one person has told me that the most peaceful place on that property is the morgue. Now, Northampton, too, is known for some of its different alternative styles uh, for mm -hmm. caring for the mental health. Instead yep. of, you know, falling into these old traditions that a lot of these other places have, they try to remain on the cutting edge. And it also, for being one of the oldest, it also stayed open later than most of the others. Uh, in 1991, they only had 120 patients, uh, but they had 11 patients still in Northampton State Hospital in August of 1996 when they closed the doors. So that one had a little bit more use and a little bit more light. And we can hear more stories right. from people that had right. positive experiences there. And, and like I said, it's, it's also um, you know, one of the places that people can continue to go to. They seem to be able to f get in there and, and find it easier and get in there and take evidence and, take, and have stories. So I have uh, one person who contacted me who uh, said it's a very positive place. Uh, she's been in different places. Um, she says they all have their own personality, and she kind of goes on to tell me the different personalities of these places. Um, in kind of conflict with a lot of these other hospitals, she sees it as a very feminine place. Maybe that's the maybe that's the reason for the bright white light. But she says it's a very comforting place. It's a very it's a very uh, you know um, she doesn't get that oppressive feeling when she goes in there that other people have gotten from other hospitals. So maybe that is a little bit more of the, the kind of the. The, the positive side of people being treated and, and having, like I said, the best days of their lives um, there. It probably also has a lot more to do with, um, you know, the use of uh, medicine as opposed to some kind of physical mm -hmm. uh, thing, some kind of physical treatment. Instead, it might have been much more, you know, psychiatric drugs. Exactly. Now, now Matt Moniz, you've had an, an experience, uh, the opportunity to investigate some of these locations. Uh, wh where have you conducted investigations uh, and if if you snuck in, don't say anything because I don't know if the statute of limitations has run out yet. So, okay, no, uh, <laughs> these were unofficial investigations because I had friends that worked at these facilities, and they were this is just as they were starting to be phased out as they were being used. One is Lakeville State Hospital. Mm -hmm. um, I knew something about the uh, place from before when it was actually working as a hospital and mental facility. They. They did both physical uh, treatments for people uh, with other physical ailments other than mental uh, issues at Lakeville, as well as it being a mental hospital. Um, 
my father went there for uh, because he was diabetic, and it was one of these uh, local hospitals that was helping treat him. So mm-hmm. when I was a younger kid, I was used to going there, and a uh, family friend did work there as a nurse. And she used to bring over stories all the time as a kid about the various things that would be seen, you know, or heard or, or experienced there. So when I got older, I got a chance to go and investigate that place. One of the other places I got to investigate was Taunton State Hospital, the Gross Building. Uh, in my opinion, the most haunted building in Massachusetts, often really? overlooked, but the most haunted building in Massachusetts, yes. And is that just from the sheer number of reports that have come The out? sheer number, well, uh, maybe it has something to do with the fact that I worked uh, with so many uh, juvenile criminals mm-hmm. who had been through there, that I've just gotten so many reports, but it seems to also be the um, the variety of reports. Um, the We're not talking about orbs, and we're not talking about cold feelings, sensations, uh, we're not talking about... An EVP picked up somehow. We're talking about full-fledged, you know, people in your room, people walking the halls. Um, I actually even have a um, someone who uh, reported a time slip to me where he experienced an entire, um, probably what would amount to 15, 20 minutes, um, where he stepped back in time and witnessed a satanic ritual that had been performed in the basement. Wow. Um, and that happened instantaneously. Hit the bottom step. All of a sudden, he was there. He could hear the chanting. He could feel the fire. He could see the people. Um, and then it wasn't until he kind of got – he was frozen in his tracks. He kind of got himself back and stepped back that the entire thing stopped. Now, Taunton's another one of those locations that you talked about, too, where the grounds has a lot of experience. Uh, the mm-hmm. woods behind the yep. state hospital are have just as many stories coming out of them as some of the buildings are actually on the One of the big battlefields for the uh, King Philip's War, I think, is right in that area. Yep, right near there. And let's not forget that the foundation of Taunton State was – from quarried rock from the Freetown Ledge. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that all goes into some a whole other. <laughs> Which you can read more about in my book. <laughs> Your forthcoming book, Dark Woods. Dark Woods. So. Uh, so. But I mean, it, it is this. Uh, you know, I had um, one report from a student of mine, who uh, had kind of found a way to slip out of the hospital, um, was in the woods um, near the cemetery, kind of plotting out his next move, waiting for things to kind of calm down, um, and all of a sudden things got very quiet, and someone told him to leave. And someone told him to get out, and he, you know, literally walked up to the front of the building and turned himself in. And this was a kid who had a long history of escaping and, you know, and a long history of getting caught again. But still, he went in because he was so uh, intimidated and so scared and so frightened by what he'd experienced that he actually walked right to the front door and knocked on the door and asked him to be let back in. There's another hospital a friend of mine, my old mentor, used to work at that he used to share stories Corrigan. I've heard that. Okay. It's another, uh, it's actually in Fall River, I believe. Okay. It's a, another state run hospital. Uh, it was actually part of the Taunton State Hospital uh, groups, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I, I'll get more information from him, but he used to regale me with stories of things that would be seen and heard there. And he worked in the mental health field for 20 something years. Right. He had seen and heard a lot of things, but he's like, when you see and hear things for yourself, and it's not just the right. patients. Right. You know, and, you know, I, I take the, a lot of the reports I get there with a grain of salt um, in terms of that I was talking to a lot of teenagers, um, a lot of people with history of drugs and, and history of mental health disorders as well. But when their stories are confirmed by people that I talked to that worked there, that's when I put more credence into it. And that's when I start kind of going back to those old stories. Um, and, these, you know, these, like I've, I think I've said here before uh, when I've talked about them, these were tough kids. These were kids who um, were not scared of anything, at least on the outside. And if it was a difference between, you know, um, seeing your parents that day and not seeing your parents that day to do your chore or, you know, being kind of put in isolation or not put in isolation based on you doing your chores and you refuse to go down to the basement 
because you're that scared of it or you've seen exactly, something. Yeah. That's that's some serious – I mean, these kids, you know, would do just about anything. That's some serious stuff. That's well, some – Now, Taunton's still in use, uh, but they have right. had – their first, the dome collapsed, and right. then there was a fire uh, – I think last March or last May there was a fire. It was there. yeah, it was right around. It was right around when I started my book because that became kind of a, a story that I that I wanted to tell with it. So that's another. And the Lakeville Hospital uh, is now in the process of being uh, taken apart. A mall. Yeah, it's going to be turned into like a little <laughs> shopping plaza. Uh, but one of the reports that we've heard coming out of there, and this comes from a paranormal investigator that we know. Uh, I won't mention his name in case he doesn't want the report to come out, but. And he let us know that he had a family member that worked there and that on the third floor apparently is where they had the children's ward and that if you go up there, you can still hear the children laughing, children playing, uh, and it's just such a strong energy there. Uh, And also another one of the reports is that the operating rooms there, you can still hear the procedures taking place. So, I mean, I don't know if that is anything that you experienced while you had the opportunity to be there. Footsteps walking up and down the hall where I know I'm the only other person in the building, yeah. Now, the Shadowlands.net is a website that has numerous reportings uh, of different hauntings. You can, If you have an experience with a haunting, you can go there, you can submit the information to them, and they'll put it on their site. But unfortunately, there's also not a lot of checking up on some of these hauntings. So there's stories that you'll hear that could be just outright made up. There's locations that we know firsthand that we've talked about. We went to a, an event in Freetown with you, Chris, where uh, we talked about the uh, the old village house in the Sonnet and, right. and the hauntings there. And then everybody's looking at us like, there's no such place. <laughs> right, what are you right. talking about? But there are a number of reports uh, of places that have been... Uh, investigated and, and of course we remind everybody please do not break into these buildings do not illegally go in there and, and conduct investigations ask for permission uh, and we're going through these some of these reports and we're hearing stories about places uh, you know that we're not sure if they exist even and so that's kind of what's popped up from this culture of ghost hunting is that you you get these reports of places that you can't really be sure of but for the ones that we do know exist, one of the common reports are shadow people. And you've hit on, hit on it a couple of times in yeah. what you've been talking about, Chris. These shadows that are seen in these in these hospitals, these sanatoriums, mm-hmm. these jails. Uh, Matt Moniz, you've experienced this firsthand in Waverly Hills and in Eastern State. What are these shadow people, in your opinion, that are, are in these hospitals? I'd probably like to start by, by splitting off um, what's called um, a shadow person traditionally um, with what I call more of the dark men. And the best way to describe them would be shadow people, but I don't think that they're the same thing. Um, the the person who called at the beginning of the show asked about, you know, can you create um, a ghost? And one of the f- stories I heard a few years ago when I was working on a case in um, the Lizzie Borden house was the psychic was talking about how she had gone into this basement of this haunted house and she had discovered kind of like a hidden room. And in that room she found the spirit of a little boy. And this little boy had um, been locked in that room constantly. Um, and so the actual little boy created this little boy to kind of cope with that. And his psychic impression got put on there. She actually met the person who was this little boy as an adult. And he talked about how he would often go down there, or when he was locked in there, he would kind of step outside of himself, and he created a playmate. Mm-hmm. And he used to play with this other little boy that was down there which is not what she got. What she got was this very dark, oppressive figure that was basically feeding off of this little baby, this little kid's energy. And so the spirit, or I mean, it, to me it seems much more like a, a demonic type of, type of experience. The demon was feeding off the little boy to the point that he was actually creating enough energy to have the little boy's 
ghost stay there, wow. kind of escape itself. And then constantly the little boy would feed the demon, and the demon would kind of feed it back so to keep this kind of relationship yeah, going. Exactly, and that's yeah. what it is, this relationship. The demon would play along, essentially. Right. A shadow, a shadow figure seems to kind of uh, come in and out of your life. You know, people have reports of it in the home. These dark men that I'm talking about are found in places where there, where there are horrific things that go on, and they're never seen by themselves. They're seen in conjunction with other ghosts. And so I feel that, that they have to kind of be demonic because they seem to be, and I've gotten tons of reports. I've gotten, you know, from, from Taunton, I've gotten at least half a dozen independent reports. Now, these were all seen by the patients themselves, but we're talking over the course of three years I interviewed uh, these students. So they didn't really talk to each other. And it wasn't something that they talked to to each other as well. You, know, like, like, it, you didn't talk- share the story because it was so frightening. And they would be in the room. Um, sometimes they would be able to have the ability to, to walk up the walls. They would have no face. Um, all of them saw them as masculine. And it almost seemed as if, like when you play it out, it was almost like a, like a sexual abuse kind of thing going on. They would wake up. They would see the person in the corner. The, the terror would automatically start happening. And then, you know, it would just stand there and not approach. But it had this very, like, you know, you know, um, um, molestation kind of kind of feel to it, and that same thing is seen in so many of these asylums. I have reports of these. Well, let's clarify here: when you're talking about the reports that you've gotten from Taunton from students, you're talking about people that are there under the juvenile program. Right. You're not talking about people that were in these buildings for mental illness or for any kind of uh, psychic. I mean, I mean, right. In other words, they didn't have a. a um it wasn't enough an issue that they were coded that way. Exactly. Or that they were, that's the, the path that they were on. They, they, some of them had mental health issues. Yeah, but we're not talking the reports of crazy people that were right, hallucinated. Right, right. Although, although, you know, that's the kind of, you know, that same psychic that I'd worked with, um, you know, Jackie Barrett in, at, at, uh, in Fall River, was, um, she was saying half those people, when they're saying they're talking to someone, aren't talking to someone. So, you know, that's kind of sketchy and kind of like, you know, playing the edge a little bit, but I'm talking about people who could sit down, have a conversation with me about the Sox game or what was going on in the news or the way they felt about something and would tell me these stories in private, not in front of other people because it had that kind of, that terror and they didn't want to let that out. These kids were more juvenile delinquents. They were they juvenile were, delinquents, right. Yeah. So now, do you think that these shadow people, I mean, sorry, these, these dark men that you're talking about, these uh, somewhat demonic entities, do you think that they are in these buildings because they can feed off mm-hmm. the constant 100%. negativity that is 100%. And I, th- and I feel that that's kind of what they strive on, and um, they they both feed on it and create it. So they, do they stay behind after these buildings have closed because yes. that energy mm-hmm. keeps permeating? Yep. And they just, keep like that, just like that little kid in the basement, the... the the people might be gone, but the energy's not. The energy's still there, and it's kind of still lingering there, and they're still able to, and in, 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 in oftentimes, like that experience, you inspire the fear that, that they could feed on, regardless of what building is there. It's kind of like me when I go to a buffet. I mean, I don't care if they flip the clothesline over. As long as there's still food out there, I'm going to keep eating. Well, it'd be kind of be like if then you went out in the, back, in the back and then started creating the food yourself and cooking it yourself because you're like, you know what? You don't have enough. I need to, I need to kind of feed a little more. It'd be more like that, but... Yeah, definitely they would be, you know, if they were at a buffet, they would have been cut off a few hours ago. <laughs> yeah, no more for you. All right. <laughs> so if you have had any experience, we've got about 10 minutes left in the program here before we go to college basketball. If you've had any experiences or heard any stories from any of these hospitals, institutions, or jails, one of the places that uh, we could talk about is the Ash Street Jail in New Bedford. There's been reports that I've heard from people that have spent time there. Uh, now, that building was built in 1829, so we're talking... Spent time or done time? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm talking from the opposite side of the bars. Um, from the uh, from the good side of the bars, that building was built in 1829. So we're talking an almost 180 year old building, uh, and that there's been a lot of negativity associated with that over mm-hmm. the years. 
so there have been frequent reports that come out, but unfortunately they don't really get out into the media or, or are generally talked about because it's still an operation. So it's not like we can get in there and investigate. Right. Uh, even if you got arrested, Matt Moniz, they take your EMF detector and your tape recorder away, so don't try and do it that way. Uh, but there are a number of buildings like that around here. Um, you know, the, the armory is another building, same type of thing. You have these... Uh, buildings that were built for purpose, the forts, uh, Fort Rodman, Fort Phoenix, these are built for... Fort Warren. Yeah, they're built for some sort of institutional purpose, and something has stayed behind and remained behind. Uh, and if you've had any kind of experience like that, please call up and share 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And one more time, we'll say the reason why we're talking about this subject tonight, besides the fact that we've long said we need to do a show on this, is because Tuesday, Matt Costa and myself will be arrested to raise money for muscular dystrophy. If you'd like to make a donation, go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can get the link to do so there. Um, one of the, because, you know, I can't just have a straight paranormal conversation. I have to bring, you know, folklore and, and, mm-hmm. and mythology into it. One of the things that's so appealing about a ghost that's in a jail or a ghost that's in an asylum, other than the fact that sometimes the jail is, is home to, uh, you know, Taunton, for example, Lizzie Borden uh, spent some time there. Um it's, it's how you, if you have a house and something weird is going on, then you can't necessarily trace it back to how come you know this ghost is there. But you have a ready-made excuse with these places as well, which is part of the problem of investigating them. Is you know they're they're automatically haunted before you ever step on there because they look like a haunted place. That you know the history of it, and it's been uh, you know a public place. And so I feel a lot of the reports that people are getting are people scaring themselves and people kind of going in there. And, you know, the like I said before, the, the plot of Session 9 is the fact they're going in there to clear asbestos. You know what that means? If you're in there and you take a picture, chances are you're going to get dust. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this kind of, you know, mystique to it's kind of the first step of a, of a, of a would-be paranormal investigator or a ghost hunter is go to a cemetery and then go to an abandoned building. And in Massachusetts, we have so many of them that those are just so readily available. You can, you know, basically throw a stone and hit one. But I think a lot of the reports that, that people get of, um, you know, activity happening now comes from that comes from that kind of going in there not necessarily experiencing the field not necessarily experience that kind of evaluating their own evidence afterwards and everything is a ghost because it's just a scary place and you know bad stuff happened there all right well that just about wraps up our discussion tonight actually because we've got to run some more spots before we go to college basketball but chris thank you for joining joining us tonight thank, thank you very for, much for having it in making sure in. that we talk about this subject and we're going to have to definitely revisit this yes. maybe talk about each of these institutions individually uh, in future shows. Again, please go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can donate to the uh, MDA Lockup Fundraiser there. Also go to MassCrossroads.com, Chris's mm-hmm. site. Uh, you can find out more information about all these uh, haunted asylums, jails, and hospitals. And uh, you can also pay attention to the uh, MS Walk that Chris is doing mm-hmm. as well. So next week, we are not going to be here per se. Well, we're definitely not going to be here physically. Uh, we will be at the Lizzie Borden House for the uh, Ghost Hunters University that's taking place there. We'll be broadcasting live over planetparanormal.com, and uh, hopefully we can get it over the air once the college basketball game is over on WBSM. But at the very least, you'll be able to hear us that way. Uh, and then we'll be back, I think, the week after that, and then the week after that we'll be uh, podcast only again uh, because of more college basketball. So just stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com, and uh, what we'll do is we'll give you updates there as soon as we know, so you'll know when we know. So uh, until the next time we talk, stay spectacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, 
In many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I've got another supernaturalist.